0: Hello, my name is Chandler O'Leary. And my name is Johnny Hatch. Welcome to Bedside
1: Business, a student-run podcast where we talk with physicians about how they use business principles
0: to improve their lives and the lives of their patients. We believe that business is a tool physicians can use to help their patients fight against burnout and make the world a better place. We aim to explore all these topics and more. Our guest today is Dr. Sarah Dar. She received her medical degree from Alama Iqbal Open University in Pakistan and completed her residency at Regents Hospital in Minnesota. She has an MBA from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and a master's in health professions educations from John Hopkins. She is board certified by the American Board of Anti-Aging and Regenerative Medicine. Her practice focuses on integrative and functional medicine, incorporating diet and lifestyle into health, and anti-aging medicine. She has written a textbook titled Clinical Mind Maps Using the epilogical Approach, which is a new way to think about and teach differential diagnosis, and is the focus of today's episode. We cover a lot of topics, including what her book is about, why you should pursue projects outside of just your medical practice, and what it takes to write and self-publish a book. Hope you Enjoy. Okay, so we're uh, super excited to have Dr. Dar here with us today. Uh, Thank you for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: So to start off, um, I was looking at your website, and I noticed that you had a really beautiful quote on there. I want to kind of read that and then kind of see what your opinion is is on it. So um, I'll go ahead and read the quote. It says, I believe that the purpose of life is to impart in the vastness of the universe to its fullest potential, and there are countless possibilities to do so. So I don't know if this is uh, just because of quarantine or if this is something that every medical student goes through, but I've been spending a lot of time thinking about the reasons why we do medicine and, you know, why we go through all this uh, difficulty that is medical school and things (laughs) like that. And uh, that quote is kind of in line with a lot of the reasoning that I found to be motivating to me personally is, you know, just discovering how the world works and seeing all of these things and learning about them it's just so inherently enjoyable and then you couple with that getting to use that knowledge to help other human beings live better lives and help them get to experience the fullness of nature even better right. you know it's it's really beautiful would you say that that has been your motivation throughout your career or can you just talk a little bit about that
2: yeah sure absolutely thank you well first of all thanks a lot for uh for uh, inviting me here. So I always liked science, and when I started to study medicine, I was always fascinated by it. And I'm, to this day, I think medicine is the most fascinating thing in life. And uh, so with that, when I started to see patients, I I started to experience our patient interaction, and basically just at human level, um, it's just so rewarding and fulfilling. And um, so it has been a joy um, that is where you that is how most people find their purpose and they find out that okay this is what fulfills them this is what uh, makes them happy and it, this is something that this is how they can contribute to the society as well And throughout my experience and throughout my career now what I've found is that a whole lot of times we try to go out and find our purpose and many times we are just left with no clear answer and uh, I think a part of that is because there is so much ambiguity attached to the word purpose itself Um, and what has really brought a lot of uh, resolution to me in this regard is that it's not the purpose that we are seeking, it is the relevance that we are seeking. Mm -hmm. So throughout history human beings have always uh, tried to find if they are relevant. Uh, It's something that no other species does. And we, being humans, we just try to be relevant, and that's what brings us fulfillment. So through whatever career you choose, and and in our case it is medicine, if we are relevant to the society and in that, in a positive way, we are being um, useful and helpful to other people, that is basically what is going to fulfill us. And medicine is just one way of doing it, and uh, it's, it's... it's great, and it's very uh, fortunate that we are we find something that we do enjoy at the same time and, and find our so to speak purpose or relevance in there too
0: yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I like
1: that perspective of what brings us purpose is really the real question is what makes us feel releva- relevant right. to right. you know relevance in, in how we affect the lives of those we live around right. um, and like Chandler was saying, you have a medical practice that you're a part of. Um, you've also created resources for medical students like the the mind maps. You have a YouTube channel, a website. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into these side projects? Why did you start them? Um, how have they made you relevant?
2: Yeah, so, uh... I always, like I said, I everything I've done so far in my career, in medicine, in my personal life also, I've loved. I just love every aspect of it. So when I started uh, my practice here in Texas, at the same time I started to teach at medical school. And uh, in the beginning, it was more out of necessity that um, I just started to create these mind maps for, for education. And when I did more and more of them, I just, believe it or not, I just found them to be very, not just useful and helpful, but also very enjoyable, so, um, and then one of the medical students, actually, um, uh, reached out and asked if you would ever publish it, or this work, because it just kind of gotten so bigger over time, and uh, so I thought about it a little bit, and then I decided, okay, well, I'll go ahead and put this all together in a book, and in, when I started out, it I felt it was going to be just not no big deal I've done this and it will take maybe a few weeks or months and I'll be you know publishing it out but uh, of course just like any other big task in life it it took quite some time more than a year and finally I was able to put it all together uh, the main the main reason for this was to make it available to not just to our medical students here at TCOM but also um, on a larger scale, to other students throughout the country or maybe in the world, and um, uh, and have something available to faculty as well. So the book has three sections, and the first section is about medical education, uh, so it's more for medical educators. And the second and the third section are uh, sections are for students as well as for the faculty. Yeah.
0: I love that you said that a student was kind of the one that suggested Mm -hmm. you first, um, you know, kind of share those with people. So we're, we're you know, a medical business podcast, and that's one of the things that we're really trying to do with this project is kind of emphasize how business is not just going to meetings to decide, you know, how you're going to fund the hospital. Business is really just a tool you can use to help whenever you see a problem in the world, you use business to kind of help facilitate solving that problem Mm -hmm. and you know there's just infinite different ways to do this so your book um, the full title if correct me if I'm getting this wrong but it's clinical mind maps using the epilogical approach correct before we get into a lot of the details of the book can you kind of describe the epilogical approach and what that is
2: Absolutely. So the epilogical approach is, uh, is a cognitive strategy to, uh, to solve clinical problems, um, mainly for diagnosis. And so the main goal is to improve diagnosis in terms of improving efficiency, accuracy, and using logic. Um, the epilogical approach uh, has four parts. So basically we use these four parts or this entire approach to solve any patient presentation to arrive at the diagnosis and the idea is that we stick to one strategy will be more successful and the four parts are the first thing is developing a list of Uh, probable diagnosis or possible differential diagnosis after hearing about the complaint. The second part is uh, to address any urgent or emergent situation to make sure the patient is stable. And the third part is, which is the biggest chunk of it, is to weigh differential diagnosis based upon history and physical exam and diagnostic test. And that is where uh, I felt that there was a lot of lacking in terms of how we do that part. And the details are in the book that we Uh, place emphasis on every question that we are asking. We ask high yield questions to make sure that we have chunked our diagnosis into different compartments and we're not just going all over the place. And we, based upon the high yield uh, questions and then the answers that are given to us from that, we uh, narrow our differential diagnosis into smaller uh, chunks and then we ask more medium yield questions, which is basically to bring us closer to any one of those fewer differential diagnoses, And then toward the end, we just make sure that we ask additional questions to make sure we are not anchoring at any particular diagnosis prematurely, because a lot of the times the diagnostic errors are made because of uh, biases, which we all have, the cognitive biases. And one of the biggest biases is the anchor bias. Uh, So we just make sure we don't prematurely close our encounter and keep exploring other possibilities uh, and then finally arrive at the correct diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So those are the four parts, yeah. yeah.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I know I this is like one problem with doctors and how they're portrayed on television a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Is it, it seems like their differential diagnosis is just intuition based a lot of times, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just kind of, you know, miraculously arrive at it but that's that's really not that helpful in real life.
2: You right, know, really because when it comes to decision-making or, um, or diagnosis-making, mm-hmm. uh, there is a, there's a great book, um, Thinking Fast and Slow, yeah. um, and which basically is based upon the concept that we, ha- we think fast or slow, mm-hmm. and fast is intuitive thinking, and slow is more strategy-based or cognitive thinking. So the idea of the book and this approach is that we train our students and also everybody to to kind of not just always depend on intuitive thinking, because although it can bring us to the diagnosis most of the time, Mm -hmm. if we are experienced enough, but early on in our training, we don't, uh, if we use that approach exclusively, we are going to make a lot of errors. Uh, So the idea is to do a little bit slow thinking. Mm -hmm.
1: One thing I really appreciated as a student doing the mind maps is just having a cognitive approach, a strategy, going into diagnosis to say, like, like you, you know, the, the several steps is build a diagnosis, determine urgent or emergent situations, and then go on to ask high-yield, low-yield questions okay. um, while, while avoiding anchor bias. And that, to me, has been really useful to, as a strategy to, to approach diagnoses. And y- you talked about some of your motivation behind this book. What was the process like of publishing, funding, and advertising? your book.
2: Okay, sure. So the publishing was um, basically I um, used a lot of resources online um, and I hired a a couple of companies to format my mind maps. Uh, It was uh, like any other project, the first time you do it you learn so many things and I know the second time if I publish a book I will be more efficient in using those resources. But I had to redo quite a few of them because I didn't know the differences between how the PDFs work and how the JPEGs and all that. Finally, we did get to a point where it was publishable. Um, Believe it or not, uh, publishing is really not that difficult, uh, especially if you have the content and if you have the right resources. So I encourage everybody who is, if you are wanting to publish a book, go for it. Uh, It is very time consuming and Mm -hmm. it does require a lot of patience um, because you you have to kind of redo things, and I've come to realize that uh, if there are one million words in a book, you have one million opportunities to make mistakes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: That's a lot of
0: opportunities. <laughs> yeah, I don't even have any. So
2: don't feel discouraged if you if you know things don't come out right the first time. Just stay at it and just be persistent and patient. Uh, uh, I self-published this book on yeah. Amazon. I did not actually advertise uh, because my main motivation was to have it available for students at our medical school, um, but slowly it started to kind of get noticed and people started to uh, purchase it, so now people are buying it directly from Amazon. Um, The cost involved, um, I don't really have the total cost, I don't really remember, but um, that is also... Doable. Um, you don't, you actually never will be able to recuperate your cost from selling a book, <laughs> a medical book, I can tell you. Uh, so if you ever do th- uh, something like this, uh, just keep in mind it is basically something you're doing because you want to do it. Yeah.
1: That's cool. Yeah. that's It's good to have things because we need to live, you know, we need to make right. money. Right. But that's, that's not what life's all about, right? And so it's cool to have something that you're passionate about
2: right that can yeah.
1: help and uplift students as well as right. you know other other faculty um physician faculty so
2: right yeah because it's i mean i i uh, look at it as my professional expense you know it's like yeah. more for it's more for professional growth it's more for it's a part of what i'm doing so i mean we buy stethoscopes and we purchase you know white coats and books mm-hmm. and all that so it's a part. it's just a part of that
1: an investment in your in your career development It's your, so. yeah
2: and more than anything it's the creativity aspect of it i yeah. think that was the biggest thing that i got out of it uh, so it, just reading about the content and everything that i was going to put in it uh, i think made me a better doctor as well and uh, i felt like i was able to be so creative mm-hmm. which is so lacking in medical profession yes. because one thing that medicine does is it's this cuts your creativity. Yeah, because you don't just have time to be creative. So doing something like this, I think it's very helpful in that way.
1: Yeah. Um, did you have any... What were some difficulties that you had in publishing your book? You, you said you thought it would be really quick, but uh, it took a year to to end up publishing. What were some obstacles you had to overcome?
2: But for me, it was uh, just the very nature of the book itself. So the book is... You know, half of the book is images, and uh, all of that is this rich with content. So uh, whenever I started to kind of create all those mind maps, I was always, I had to be consistent, so I had to look over them again and again and again. I can't tell you how many times I looked at them, and even then, when the f- I was, like, ready to publish, I found more errors. So that is the main uh, uh, challenge, or that was a challenge I faced, and I think it took so much time the um, the the publishing process itself, like once you on Amazon, if you or even any other you know publisher you use, the process itself is actually not really that time consuming. You can, if you have a book ready in the proper format, you can publish an ebook in a day. Oh, wow. um, you can publish a paper book in a few days if you have your content formatted and ready. Well,
0: do you have any future goals for the project? Um, are you still working on editing some of the mind maps, or do you have any lofty ideas for expansion, or, or what what does the future look like for the book? Yeah,
2: I'm hope I'm really very much hoping that this will become more of a collaborative project. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, you know, constantly get feedback from faculty and students, and I it's very valuable, um, and I'm hope and I'm already taking notes. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to do like a second edition of the book in Mm -hmm. future. Uh, I'm also hoping that we can create some uh, videos uh, on, you know, on those mind maps uh, where we can just kind of shoot some case scenarios uh, and uh, have them available on the website. So uh, the clinical mind maps book actually has a website also, Mm -hmm. so I can publish some videos because this way it can be audio, video, Learning experience for students. Yeah, Yeah. and
0: just for everyone listening, we'll post links to all of um, Dr. Dar's websites, including the clinical mind map and stuff, in the show notes, so you you. can read those later. Yeah. Um, So
1: you have several degrees. The one most prominent to us is an MD. You're a physician, but you also have your uh, Master's of Business Administration.
2: Right.
1: What inspired you? Why did you choose to pursue an MD? Pursue
2: that. So, uh, that again was out of, <laughs> more out of necessity. <laughs> so, I was, uh, I've been working at, uh, you know, in, uh, in John Peter Smith Hospital for almost 10 years. So, I, at one point I was made the medical director of one of the clinics, and, and when I started to manage, and so I did incorporate some of the, the skills there, I felt that there was a need to grow professionally in that area as well, so I, uh, looked at different programs and um, I took a few modules and they looked really good and uh, decided to enroll in the uh, MBA program and and that's how I just finished it. Uh, it again was a great experience and uh, I did not really have like a goal yeah. uh, kind of to accomplish in the end which mm-hmm. which really makes it very good because when you detach yourself from the final consequences or outcome or the grades or the results then you, the experience becomes very enjoyable, so, so it was great. Yeah,
1: yeah thank you. Um, w- One common thread that I've seen throughout your story is you have a task or an obstacle that you want to overcome, and then you go and learn how to do it, right? Like, you had this student, you made this mind map, the student said, this is really great, I love this resource, and so you find out how to publish a book. Okay. You're made medical director, and you say, okay, I need some business skills, so I'm going to take a few modules. I'm going to learn how to do this, um, but then you ended up taking, you know, taking the full, full thing. the full thing, <laughs> yes. which is really cool. Um, but I don't know if every medical student or every medical professional will end up going on to pursue an MBA. Right. So what can medical students do, or medical professionals in general do, to learn basic business skills?
2: Right. So yeah. So the first question that we need to ask ourselves is. What kind of experience it is that we want to have from, not just medicine in particular, but life in general. So my philosophy of life is that if we we decide what we want, what kind of experience we want to have, and we then align everything, our activities and our time and our resources with that, and and then everything just falls in place. So instead of thinking, oh gee, you know, every medical student should have a business you know education instead of thinking or oh i am just left behind i need to pursue this degree or that degree that will put so much stress on everybody so i i don't think anybody everybody needs to earn extra or additional degrees uh, i think everybody just needs to look at what it is that what kind of experience they want to have from medicine and life in general so uh, if you feel like, well, I'm a kind of a person who wants to be involved in my financial decisions or in my practice, and, and I, that's kind of how I want to practice medicine, then yes, then that is a necessity. So you use this as a, as a reason and then it becomes a necessity. So now you have to do it and you commit yourself to it and do it very joyfully. On the other hand, if you feel like, oh no, I am getting this job and this job requires me to do this as well so now i have to do it then it it will not be very fulfilling for you because then it will become like a chore for you yeah. so so first kind of ask yourself why what what type of experience you want to have now if you if if i am a doctor for example and i love seeing patients all day every day i don't want to i really don't enjoy spending time on spreadsheets or yeah. on yeah. the business aspect of my practice then there's nothing wrong with it. That's actually absolutely fine. And uh, you just then become, then use somebody. That's why we have people. That's why we have collaboration. That's why those are the people around you who will support you. So you just keep doing what you're doing. Um, But at the same time, if you don't like it, that somebody is controlling your business aspect of your practice or your finances, then you use this as a reason to grow in that area as well.
0: Great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think that is an interesting thing about the way that the American system's kind of organized is that, you know, it's got pluses and minuses, but everyone kind of does their own little thing and it just, you know, separates and no two doctors are doing the exact same thing or have the exact same career path. So for our final question, what do you see um, for any changes in medical education going forward? Um, do you think that there's going to be any big shifts happening with technology, or really anything? This is a super broad question.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think one thing that this pandemic has brought is is an opportunity um, to discover ourselves mm-hmm. and maybe reinvent in many different areas. And um, so. If just imagine if this pandemic had occurred 20 years ago before the age of google yeah uh, who would have zoom and who would have <laughs> who would have all these uh microsoft teams and everything else right so we wouldn't be able to do so many things that we are able to do now and with this i think the the future of medicine and the future of education has changed forever i would say Uh, not just in education but also in medicine Mm -hmm. Um, the telemedicine is growing exponentially Um, the education is now so different today that you wouldn't be able to recognize it if you just came to this earth today and you were just placed at a different time Um, so that brings us an opportunity to grow and uh, uh, one of the things that will help a lot would be collaboration. So we all know that uh, no matter how strong the technology is and no matter how much content we have and how well educated we are about everything, if we are not able to collaborate, we will not be able to move forward. Um, Medical education in the past was basically just compartmentalized Mm -hmm. into books and libraries and specialties and and modules, and so everybody just have to go through the same system, but now with the ever-expanding knowledge that's out there and accessible to everyone, I think there's more and more opportunity for collaboration, crowdsourcing, and, uh, uh, and then applying that with in the form of hands-on experience. So, those are the things that will become actually more and more necessary in, in the field of medical education.
0: Well Dr. Dar thank you so much for talking with us today. Um, is there any closing thoughts you wanted to add?
2: Oh I think I'm I'm grateful to be here and uh, uh when I look at the uh, generation today which is now like uh, I feel like this is like the future of everything and it's not just it's, it's not it's challenging in some ways but it's just so exciting as well at the same time because there is just so much opportunity and and I have great hopes that uh, People will do great. Yeah. Thank you. Great
0: Thank you. To. Thank
2: you so much. Yeah.